the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We've talked about the big picture of forgiveness, how forgiveness sets you free from being chained and bonded to someone that doesn't bit more care about you. And if they did care about you, they need to be putting themselves in a position to repent for all that which they have done wrong. And today we will talk about the big picture of worship. What does it mean to worship because oftentimes we get worship confused with a praise dance. Sometimes we get worship confused with clapping your hands. Sometimes we get worship confused with how good someone sings. Oh, that girl really can worship. But the person that sings off key, we question their worship. When the Bible says this simply as this, the person that worships me, the people that worship me, they that worship me shall what? Worship me and spirit and in truth. It never said that you had to have a perfect voice to worship God. It never said that you had to have good stage presence to worship God. It says simply, if you're going to worship me, you will worship me and in spirit and in truth. The reality is it's hard for many of us to do something new or something different or something no one has ever taught us how to do. It's hard for us to to grasp the concept and the understanding of what does God really desire from me to worship. Because many of us have been taught that the only way I know you're worshiping is if you're really singing. The only way I know if you're worshiping is if you're stomping your feet, if you're dancing. That's worship to many of us. But the reality is God is looking for a different type of worship. God is looking for something that comes from within. It can be seen. It can be manifested on the outside, but it comes from within. See, when God looks at your worship, he's not grading it on what people see. He's grading it on what he can only see. And the reality is that many of us are not worshiping God the way that God deserves to be worshiped because of the simple fact our hearts are not pure. Our hearts are not pure. And so we look good on the outside. Pastor don't normally wear a suit, but I throw on a suit today just for the reason I feel like I look real good. But on the inside, I don't like it. I would rather have on my jeans and my, my tennis shoes, put on some J's, because that's just my style. But, but for some reason, I felt led to put on a suit. I put on a suit today because a friend of mine, Pastor Damian Williams, is being installed as a pastor at Galilee Missionary Baptist Church. And I said, man, I don't, I don't have nothing to wear. And he said, yeah, I've seen you on the news with a blazer on before. Just put that blazer in the jeans. Because as a traditional Baptist church, you ain't going to sit in that pulpit. You ain't going to be on program without a suit on. And I say, man, are you really out going to make me wear a suit? And he says, yeah, if you really love me, if you really care about me, if you really want to be there for me, you will put a suit on for me. And so, therefore, I had to put on that which was uncomfortable for me because of the fact I want to honor someone I love. Can I help you understand today that worship is really uncomfortable for some of us? But if we really love God, we should put it on. We should be willing to put on Worship because of the simple fact that this is what God not only desires, but he deserves from us. And Paul understood this principle. And so he, when he writes in the book of Romans, he writes and he says, listen, I beseech you, brethren. And then he carries it on. He says, by the mercies of God to present yourself, you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. As we get into this message today, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, and I want to give you 
three simple things that you can take with you as it relates to the worship. I want to make sure that you leave here understanding the reason that we worship. I want to make sure that you leave here knowing the process of worship. And then I want to just drop the cherry on top and understand the purpose of worship. The reason, the process, and the purpose of worship. Worship is the greatest and possibly only gift that we could ever give to God. I need you to understand that. I need you to receive that. Worship is the greatest and possibly only gift we can give to God. Mother Mary, quickly, there's a gift on that table back there. Bring it for me. Bring it for me. She didn't even know we was going to have props today. Worship, right there, a gift box. Yes, ma'am, bring it. It's the only gift that we could possibly give to God. I don't know if this is going to work because I didn't make this box for this purpose today, but we're going to use it. I got it. Thank you so much, Ms. Mary. This is a gift box. Now, the thing is that, oh, it won't open. All right, so inside, if it did open, you could put whatever you wanted to in this box, right? It could be a flower. It could be uh, it could be a vase. It could be money. It could be whatever it is that you could possibly want it to be. But we know that it's what? A gift. This is a gift. The reality is the only gift that God desires for us to give him is ourselves. And how do we give God ourselves? Through worship. So when I come to present God with a gift, come here, Booker. When I come to present God with a gift, the only reason I'm calling you because you're bigger than me and they might look at you as God for the moment. <laughs> and so when I come to present God with my gift, I'm presenting God with my worship. The reality is that me attending church on Sunday morning is my worship. Me giving to God financially is my worship. Me testifying to God is my worship. Me singing, dancing, celebrating is my worship. No matter what I package on the inside of it, I need to make sure that the gift that I'm giving God is a gift of worship. The problem with many of us is that, number one, some of us don't give God gifts. We're not trying to put a seed in the offering. We're not trying to praise. We're not trying to dance. We don't want anybody that's not cool. Gangsters don't dance no more. We... We, 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 sit, we sit here and we hold so much back. And the reality is, when you fail to worship, you fail to have a relationship. The lack of worship is the lack of a relationship. When I wake up in the morning, take that with you there. When I wake up in the morning and I, and I see my wife, and some of us don't like talking about our wives with bonnets on their heads and things of that nature early in the morning. But when I see, I see my wife, with that bonnet on her head, I, 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 baby, I love you. You look good, girl. And the reason being is because no matter what she looks like at that moment, no, she's always beautiful to me because I see the heart of my wife. My wife is there for me when nobody else is there for me. 
She supports me when nobody else supports me. So just the fact that things don't go my way one time or another doesn't stop me from adoring my wife. Many of us, when God don't do what we want him to do, how we want him to do it, and when we want him to do it, we stop worshiping. God, I can't worship you. You didn't give me a man. God, I can't worship you. I didn't get that raise that I prayed to you about. And so we, we, we begin to pull back the element of worship because we feel like, God, you don't deserve my worship. You don't deserve it. I want to make sure that you understand today, God doesn't have to do anything. Matter of fact, the old school song used to say, Lord, if you don't do nothing else for me, you've done enough. Paul understood that principle. Because Paul solidifies in his writing to the Romans, he solidifies the purpose of their worship. Paul writes and he says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God. He says, therefore, brethren, I urge you. Why? Because of the mercy of God. If you don't know anything else, the reason why you should worship God is because of his mercy. That's the reason why we worship God. We worship because of his mercy. In other words, mercy is simply God withholding that which you deserve. I don't know about you, but there are some things that I should have been caught for. There are some things I should have been in trouble for. Matter of fact, if we just got to talk about everybody today, all of us are sinners saved by grace. That is mercy. Just that one principle alone should be enough reason for you to worship God in spirit and in truth. God, I'll worship you if you give me a new house. God, I'll worship you if you give me a new car. I'll worship you if you make this man or this woman marry me. God, I'll worship you if things just seem to happen to start going my way. I'll worship you if I get the lottery. Lord, you let me hit the lottery. I'll give you 10% of that, Lord. The reason why we worship is simply because God has shown us mercy. See, the reason why some of us are, don't understand that we should worship because God has shown us mercy, because we have been living in a time where we have not experienced the wrath of God. Y'all all need to go read the Old Testament. God ain't always been nice. God used to have a real bad attitude towards human beings after he created them and they fell, fell, they fallen in the garden. I, I mean, even after he left Adam and Eve and Cain's Abel, Cain and Abel and Cain sinned against Abel and killed Abel, God had an issue. That was a steady problem. He came to Noah and said, Noah, listen, I'm, I'm just done. I can't work with these people anymore. They're not doing anything. You're the only one that seemed like there's a glimmer of light in it, man. Get your family together. Put yourself in this ark. Build it like I tell And I'm just going to wipe everybody out. So what would you do if God just said, listen, I, your time, I'm wiping y'all out right now. He's done it. And if you don't believe in the biblical reference of it, go ask a Scientologist. He'll tell you at one point in time there was a great flood on earth. He will make sure that you understand that he, I'm not playing with you. And if that wasn't enough, you'll take, you, you can look at the point when the Israelites were sinning against God. He put them into bondage. In the, what type of, would you worship God then, knowing that God said, since you don't want to do right for me, I'm going to let somebody else rule over you? 
I'm going to allow somebody else to put you in bondage. And then when he gave him another chance, he pulled him out and he says, listen, the Canaanites ain't doing right, so I'm going to allow you to overtake them and take their land. How would you feel if God says, just because you ain't on my team today, I'm done with you? See, we're on the good side of the relationship with God. We don't get to experience the wrath of God like some of the, the saints of old used to. And so we, we worship God through faith while others worship God through fear. Uh, I wonder if we would be a lot better off if we had to fear God, understanding that God would do some things immediately that would be detrimental to our health as believers. But yet and still, because of God's grace and his mercy and his love, we take that for granted. I think uh, people from the hood used to say, don't take my kindness for weakness. And if I had to suggest a thought today, I would suggest that when you fail to worship, you take God's kindness for weakness. You take God's mercy and you think, well, he has to do that. Let me tell you something. I can tell you about thinking somebody has to do something. I am a husband to a beautiful wife. I love you, wife. I'm going to tell on you today. I'm, I'm putting you on blast. For some reason, for some reason, she... uh. She's in school. She got very busy. And she ain't been able to do what I naturally assumed was wifely duties. Uh, but she made sure to check my box and make sure to understand we equal in this house. Ain't nothing wifely duties. Uh, I work, you work. I go to school, you go to school. I do ministry, you do ministry. Uh, we gotta, we, I clean the house, you clean the house. This is an equal table. And so I, I thought she was playing. I thought she was playing until I went to my, my underwear drawer, and there wasn't no underwears in my drawer. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, baby, you didn't see all those clothes? Yeah, I saw them, but I had assignments due. <laughs> see, that's what happens when you assume that somebody has to do something. When you assume and you think that somebody has to do something, what ends up happening is when they show you that I don't have to do it, you end up looking like a fool. You end up looking like a fool. And many of our times, many of times in life, we go through thinking that God has to do something. God, you have to wake me up in the morning. No, he doesn't. God, you have to bless me financially. No, no, he doesn't. And the reason why many of us struggle in our relationship with God is because we think that God has to do something. And so we attach our worship to the understanding or to the knowledge that we think God has to do something. And when God doesn't do it, we don't worship. But the reality is that we should understand the reason that we worship is not because God has to do something, but because God has already done something. He's already done that which I can't even do myself. I can't keep myself sane. I can't cover myself. I can't make an atonement for my sins. But yet and still, he's already done it. I, I can't make myself have activities of my limbs. I can't make myself wake up in the morning. I don't care how many alarm clocks I set. He's already done it. Every day we wake up, God has already shared his mercy with us. And so when Paul writes to the people of Rome, Paul says, brothers, I beseech you. In other words, I urge you. Brothers, I'm reaching, I'm begging you that you should do what I'm about to ask you to do simply because of God's mercy. 
He didn't write and say, do it because I'm a good preacher. He didn't write and say, do it because I go, you go, you're part of the biggest church or you're part of the biggest nation. He says, do it because of God's mercies. When I think back over my life and all the things that God has done for me, the seen and unseen dangers, how God has provided for me, how God has covered me, how God has brought me out of situations, that's the reason I worship him. You know the reason why it's hard to come to church on Sunday morning and worship? Because we're coming with, the, with baggage thinking that God ain't done nothing. The fact that you drove here this morning, you walked here, however you got here, is a reason to praise God. So what you almost had a flat? Okay, and so what you had to stop at the gas station? Or at least you got a tie. You know somebody looking for a tie? We have to get to a point where we come with the spirit of worship because we are excited about everything that God has already done. It's okay to have a spirit of expectation, but where is the spirit of gratitude? Where is the spirit just to say thank you for what you have done for me? I'm going to tell you this now. If you're ever in a one-sided relationship where all somebody does is take from you and they never give back to you, you are going to limit that relationship as fast as you can. You're going to limit that relationship as fast as you can because nobody wants to be in a one-sided relationship. When God establishes his covenant with man, when God says, I will redeem you, I will bring you out, I will provide for you, all he says, all I need from you is your worship. People get all bent out of shape. God don't need my money. He got all the money in the world. Number one, God ain't got money because he don't need money. Money is a man-made thing. But you should be willing to share your man-made things with God because of the simple fact of understanding that whatever I have, God, I only have it because of you. And as a result of that, I want to share it with you for your purpose. I'm going to tell you now, the church wouldn't need money if the church didn't have to pay bills. We, listen, if y'all y'all cool with having church outside of the park every Sunday, you can keep your tithes and offering. We can sit out in the rain. We can praise God, do whatever we want to do. But because of the fact that we know the weather is not the same, we want to be comfortable. God don't care about this building. God don't care about the chairs and making sure you got comfortable chairs. God don't care if you got enough musicians. You know, God, God kicked the musician out of heaven. And, and so the reality is that none of this stuff really matters to God. We want this stuff because it makes it more comfortable for us. I remember going to church back in the, back in the days. We used to drive down to Kaufman, Texas, and a, a van had 15, 16 of us before they even made 15 passenger vans. Called it all smoking. And the only reason they called it smoking because all the way down the highway, it was just smoking all the way down the highway. We rode down, and we, we would get to church early Sunday morning, have to cut the grass before church because we all lived in Dallas, but went to church in Kaufman, cut the grass before church. The ladies and the children was inside cleaning up. We'll have church, and then we got to turn right back around and ride all the way back home. Well, back then, to be honest, we had two or three services, and we had to stick around and wait a little while. Our hearts was in it because it was for God. Now we just want to be comfortable. We don't even put pews in churches hardly anymore because nobody wants to sit on the hard wood anymore. We, we want some double plush seats. We, we want to be comfortable. Pastor, that AC wasn't working this week. Did you remember church when there was no AC? Y'all don't know nothing about that. Pastor, the TVs, the monitors ain't up this Sunday. What's wrong? Oh, did you remember there was no TVs ever in church? 
The only drama you want the you want the grade A drama that could play at the Beyonce concert. Did you remember when it was little Timmy on the drums and he couldn't keep the beat? Somebody was trying to hold it down with a tambourine. Worship was a little. It seems like the more we get, the less we worship. We get caught up in the theatrics of church instead of understanding what God really wants us to do. This is why I said to my team this morning, I said, God must have did this on purpose because normally we have the screens up. Normally we have the tracks playing. But God said, Pastor, since you're going to talk about real worship, let's be real. Just shut it all down. Let me see what your worship is like. Are you going to get upset and frustrated and not preach because you don't have your music? Because you don't have your points on screen? Are you going to do what I'm asking you to do? Are you really going to share the word of God with the people of God? Paul says, brothers, I beseech you. I'm begging you. I'm begging you, if you're going to worship, I need you to worship him simply because of what he's done. That's the reason, the process of worship. Paul doesn't leave us with just a reason, but he takes us to the process because the reason is we worship because of his mercy. The process is we worship through our living. We worship through our living. Let me catch you. I want to make sure you understand. Worship is not just coming to church on Sunday morning and looking cute. That's not it. That's, that, that, that can be a fake. That can be a facade. That can be a show. Worship is a lifestyle. If you don't believe me, look in the text because although verse 1 of chapter 12 of the book of Romans says, and the first half says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. The second stanza of this text says, he gives them the process. He says, I'm urging you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you to do this. He says, I want you to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to who? To God which is what? Your spiritual service of worship. He says, I want you to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship for who? God. I want to break this down to, I want you to present your body as a living and holy. Be holy while you're living. Be holy while you're living. Pastor, why are you stressing that so much? Because some of us are waiting until we know, we're waiting till we know that we're almost on our deathbed. Then we'll worship God with all our heart. That's why it's hard to get young people to worship God, because they think they're going to live forever. They think they're going to live forever. I, I, was the, I was the young too. I was young. We think we're going to live forever. If, if, if we knew our expiration date, that's why we don't know our expiration date. If we knew our expiration date, we would sin all the way up until the day and then get it right. Lord, please don't take me. Give me more time, Jesus. We would sin all the way up until the day. And, and I could understand that type of behavior. But can I tell you something? Uh, some of us are very foolish because we don't know when we're going to die. And we yet sinning and we go to sleep expecting that tomorrow we're going to wake up. What are you going to do if you don't wake up the next day? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to answer for everything that you do. Somebody asked me the other day, somebody asked me the other day, and I, I don't blame him. He's, he's young. He didn't know much about the Bible. I think it was he. I can't remember who asked me, but whoever it was was a young person. And they simply asked this, hey, after we die, do we get a quick moment to repent right then? Is there, is there a, a pause in between where we can get this thing right? And I had to show them in Scripture, no, then it's over. It's done. Your decision, now you have to live with the consequences. And, 
and we laugh at him, whoever this was that asked me this, him or her. But the reality is some of us, even though we're not saying it, we're living like it is. We're living like it is. You think I'm just holy because I want to be holy? I'm scared of hell. Can I just be honest? You think there's some sins that I don't want to indulge in? I'm still human. I'm still flesh. There is always a natural desire to fall short. We have all sinned. But the, the, the risk of sinning is death. The wages of sinning is death. And the reason why this is so important to me, because the last thing I ever want to do is be in a room preaching to a, a room full of fake people. I never want to be in a room preaching to fake people. And, and, and worse than that, I never want to be in a room full of people that I hadn't told that if you're doing this type of behavior, you're fake. You're a hypocrite. I want to make sure that you understand today. You can't say that, Lord, I love you and still sin against God. I, 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 it hurts. What would it look like to my wife if I say, baby, I love you. I'm going to give you all my heart. I'm always here for you. I would never hurt you. But then I turn right around and cheat on you. How is that you showing me that you love me? What would it do for my job to say, boss, I'm always working. I'm always doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to make sure to get things done. I'm never going to do you wrong. But then every time I get to a register, I steal some money out of it. How does that show me you love? Some of you, I wish that people would love you like you love God. I bet your love changed then. I bet your life changes then. Paul writes in the text, he says, brothers, I beseech you, I need you to be holy while you're living. We make more excuses for why we are not holy. God knows my heart. Man, I fall short, man. We all sinners saved by grace. We, we begin to use those scriptures to excuse our behaviors. When really those scriptures are trying to correct your behavior, trying to make sure that you understand that there are standards and requirements that are put in place. We sit here and we want to hold police accountable, but we don't want to be held accountable. We want to hold judges accountable, but we as Christians don't. We want to hold husbands and wives accountable, but we as Christians don't want accountable. The first time somebody tell you you're wrong, the first thing you want to do is say, you just hate. You all up in my business. Church folks are always in my business. I always want. Nobody is in your business. I am here as a brother to hold you accountable. Well, the Bible says you need to take the log out of your eye before you try to take the star out of my eye. Yeah, I, I know I got logs. I got problems, but I see what you're going through too. And we're not supposed to be our brother's keepers, or we're not supposed to be here to help. But Paul says, listen, brothers, I beseech you to present yourself as a living and holy. Not a dead and holy, but a living and holy. Why? Because this is your acceptable sacrifice. Catch this. It's hard. He says it's a sacrifice. Anytime you have to make a sacrifice, it is hard. It is a hard thing to do. Worship is not going to be easy. Anything that comes to you easy is probably not worship. But if you truly want to honor God, then you will worship him in spirit and truth. You will be the living and holy sacrifice. You will be the living and holy sacrifice. Why? I'm going, to, I'm going to make the conscious decision. That's the sacrifice. I'm going to make the conscious decision. Even though I don't want to do this, I'm going to do it because you need me to. God, I may not want 
to tell somebody about you, but I'm going to do it because you need me to. God, I may not want to give that extra $100, but I'm going to do it because you need me to. Worship is a daily sacrifice. Worship is a daily sacrifice. Yeah, Lord, you know I want to listen to 97.9 while I'm at work like everybody else, but I'm going to turn it off and go to heaven 97 or whatever it is because you need me to. You need me to be the light in the midst of darkness. You need me to be the salt to add flavor and substance to the world. You, you need me to be that. Many of us, if we could ever get to the point of understanding that although God wants your worship, he wants you to worship simply because of the fact he needs you. There are people that will never know or experience God until they see what God has done through you. I had lunch yesterday with a group of my employees, and that was an old friend of mine. Barrow was with us, an old friend of mine, Ramadric, that went to middle school with us. And he is a teacher at a, a high school. What was he at? In Red Oak? He was teaching at a high school, and we were sitting there talking and laughing because both of us looked at each other and said, man, I ain't think neither one of us would end up in this situation. And Barrow was like, man, y'all were that bad? And I was like, man, we was horrible. We was busting people's heads in the lockers, in the hallways. We, all we did was fight. This was not n me, a pastor, him, a teacher. But the reality is the only thing that changed us was God. I gave him a card, invited him to the church. He says, man, I'm going to come through and check y'all out, but I go to Concord. I go, I go to church somewhere. God is the changing factor in our lives. And so when we worship, what it allows people to see is how God has changed us. How do you change somebody that was a bully into somebody that's working on the behalf of other people? How do you change somebody that caused harm to be a help to the community? How, do you, how does this happen? Because you are not who I thought you were. Paul understood this process because many of you don't know, but Paul's previous name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Saul, he was a gangster. He killed Christians. That's what he did. Matter of fact, when Jesus, when he met Jesus on the road of Damascus, when God spoke to him, he was on his way to kill some more Christians. And then God worked in his life when God told the man, hey, listen, I need you to look out to Jesus. He was like, no, Jesus, did you forget he's the one that's been killing us? I'm not looking out for him. Jesus told him he looked out for him, and next thing you know, Paul, life has changed. He has written over two-thirds of the New Testament. We can't talk about the gospel without talking about Paul. I remember, I remember the time where Paul and Cephas got into a, a conflict with each other. If you don't know Cephas, Cephas is Peter uh, in the text, and here's Simon Peter, and, and Paul is saying, well, Jesus told me this. Peter is saying, well, Jesus told me that, and I walked with him. And P Paul said, I don't care what you say. The same place you got your revelation from, I got my revelation. Paul begins to take a stand for God. And now all people can do is look at him and like, man, that ain't the same dude. You want to know what causes a man to stop cheating in a relationship? To find the love of God. When a man or a woman loves God more than they love themselves, they will change everything about what they do. Heard a story of somebody saying one time a, a woman asked her husband, Baby, do you love me enough not to cheat on me? Husband grabbed her by her hands and set her down and simply says, I don't love you enough not to cheat on you, but I love God enough not to cheat on you. The reality is that love on the natural between man and woman, it can fade. One minute I'm happy, the next minute I'm sad. 
but it's my relationship and it's my covenant with God that keeps me sane. It, that's what allows my wife to stay married to me after 12 years of foolishness. It's because of her covenant and her relationship with God. Because, look, she can break the covenant with me. She can go right down to the same courthouse and file that paper and say, we're going to break this thing up. It's done. I want half of everything he got. Uh, Send him back on about his way broke. And let's see if he gets some, some hope to share with somebody then, if she wanted to. But the reality is that she says, listen, it's bigger than you, big dog. It's the covenant that I got with God that allows me to stay faithful in this relationship. She understands the principle that no matter what I'm going through, I have to present myself as a living and holy sacrifice. Why? Because it's my good. It's my good service. It's my good sacrifice that God sees as worthy. And so he teaches us the reason why we worship. And the reason, if you didn't get it, is simply that we worship because of his mercy. He teaches us the process of worship. He says, if you're going to worship, I need you not only to understand that you worship in spirit and truth, but you worship through your living every day. Live holy. That means don't come to church on Sunday looking holy and then going to work on Monday being a hellion. Find a way to live holy every day of your life. But last but not least, what he shares with us in these first two verses is the process, the purpose of worship. And the purpose of worship is simply this, that we worship to be an example for others. We worship to be an example for others. Let me tell you something. God don't need you to tell him he's great. He already knows he's great. God don't need you to clap your hands and stump your feet. He can, he can praise himself. God can give you, you didn't, you didn't realize in Genesis that God can worship himself. He sit there in Genesis and six days created everything. And after every day, he said, man, that's good. He didn't need nobody else to tell him it was good. He man, that light, ooh, man, I did that thing. That, that is good. <laughs> that's what he did. He put it out. Man, I made birds. Man, I, look at that fish. Man, that, that, that was good. Every day he reminded himself of how good it is. It reminds me of Deacon Dan. Whenever he come from the gym, he looking in the mirror and say, mm, I look good. <laughs> Pastor, look, I lost 25 pounds. Mm, don't I look good? He don't need nobody else to tell him he looks good because he has a confidence within himself that says, I look good. And so God has a confidence that says, I don't need your worship. I don't have to have it. But I desire it because it works out for my good. You don't believe me? Look at the text, verse 2. This is what he says. After Paul tells them in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, to present yourself as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He goes on to verse 2 and he simply says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Catch this so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is what? Good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says the reason I need you to worship, the reason why God needs you to worship is so that you can prove the will of God, so that you can approve what God stands for. This hurts my heart. Because the question that I should ask ourselves, and we should all ask ourselves, as a Christian, what am I currently proving to sinners? I come to church on Sunday morning. I praise God. I pay my tithes. I give a little offering. Tell the pastor, you preached a good sermon, pastor. Take a picture. 
posted on social media. But then Friday night, after I get my check, before I come to church the next Sunday, I take that same phone. I'm up in, they don't have, I don't even know the club's name no more. Back in the day, it was Club Shay. I'm up in Club Shay taking the same picture, posting it on the same social media site. What are we proving to the world? Drink in my hand. I had a Bible in the hand last week. Now I got a drink in my hand this week. What are we proving to the world? Can I tell you what we're proving to the world? We ain't no different than them. We're not, that, we're not different than them, which is a problem because the Bible says be, be in the world, but what? Be not of the world. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, now that you woke, everybody want to be woke nine days. Now that you woke, what you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Now that you know the facts, what are you going to do? We come to church. We are inspired. We are encouraged. We fellowship. We hug. We love on one another. But we go out and live the same foolish lives. We live the same foolish lives. We live the same foolish lives because there's no level of accountability. Because the reality is, when we should be worshiping God, many of us are worshiping the church. When we should be worshiping God, many of us are worshiping the pastor. And the reason why we are so willing to sin is because if the church or the pastor don't see it, then I didn't do it. But if you truly had a relationship with God and you were worshiping God and you understood that he sees all and knows all, the things you do, you wouldn't do. I don't know about you, but if I can be transparent for a moment, when I was a kid, I cussed. I had a bad mouth. But can I tell you something? My dad's sitting in this room. He ain't never heard me cuss a day in my life. Why? Because he's my father. When I'm around him, it's just certain things I'm not going to do. Because I have a level of reverence for him. Now, this is the catch is because my dad ends up teaching me, if you really love me, you wouldn't do it no matter if I was there or not. Love is not something you just turn on and off. As a result of the fact that love equals worship, worship is the equivalent to love in our relationship with God, you can't just turn this thing on and off. You can come here and think you're fooling yourself because you put on your good jute cologne or a white diamond perfume or whatever you got, what, what, whatever it is. Well, you can come in here and prove fooling yourself, but God know you stink. He know your darkness. He knows what's really bad about you. He know what you're already planning to do. And the reality is if you really want to be different, if you really want to see the bigger picture of worship, the bigger picture of worship is understanding that the reason why you worship me is not because of what you want from me, but because of what I've already freely gave you. I love you so much that I've sacrificed so that you can one day be back in a right relationship with me, that you can be back where you belong in my presence. This is the reason, the biggest reason of understanding that when you look at the bigger picture of worship, not only do we need to know the reason, but we need to understand the process. Listen, if you're going to worship me, do it every day, all day. 
Don't just claim me when you're around other Christians, but when you're not around me, you don't want to tell somebody about how good I've been to you. You don't want to share about how God has blessed you. It's so funny because at my, my job, uh, Bear, I'm picking on Bear because he's here today, and I'm so happy that he's here. But uh, he, he comes up to me, and he says simply, because they know my nature of what I do all the time at work, he now, the guys are walking up around me, and they're just simply saying, I'm so glad because that's what I walk around work doing all day long. When people can see you, and, they, and that's the first thing that comes to their mind, I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that God has set me free. Well, that's the first thing that comes to their mind. That speaks something about what you're proving to people. What if I asked your friends when you wasn't around, what was your favorite jam? They tell me it's drop it like it's hot. Oh, Lord, I lift your name on high. What, 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 would, it, what would it be? Y'all know Pastor Out of Date. I don't know none of these new songs. What would be your favorite jam? What would be your favorite saying? What is, this, what is he or she always saying? Who is he or she always talking about? What are you proving to people? Paul says, listen, I need you to worship him because he's already done something for you. And when you do it, do it every day, all day. But more so, if you need to know why you're doing it, you're doing it because, number one, you love God enough to give it to him. But, number two, somebody else needs to see you do it. Why? Because as a disciple, you were called to create other disciples. If you're in a church and you don't have an official title in the church, don't feel bad. Your title is disciple. You don't have to be an usher. You don't have to be a greeter. You don't have to be a praise and worship singer. You don't have to be a praise dancer. You don't have to be a preacher. You have the greatest title that was ever given to mankind by the word of God itself. You are a disciple. And as a disciple, I can't even tell you your job description because God tells you your job description. I can't limit your performance area because he says the world is his and you can do whatever you need to do in it. But you should have a responsibility that every day you leave this church, you leave here on fire for God. And if you can really get to the point of being a good Christian, every day you wake up, you're on fire for God. See, something is, you ever seen some of them old saints, I'm going to leave, this is old Saint Sunday, it's just going down. They got everything going wrong. They got mixed match shoes, they had to walk to church, things just wasn't working on behalf, light bill ain't working, barely going to pay the gas bill, but yet and still they saying, God, I trust you, Lord, you are so good. And we all looked at them like they were crazy and they were out of their mind, but then God shows up and provides for them. Everything they need. I remember an old pastor in his closing message would tell us on Sunday morning when he preached, he would talk about his grandmother and how his grandmother had to feed 12 kids. And having 12 kids, they, she didn't always have enough food. But she would go to the table and she would set the table as if she had food to feed the 12 kids and would begin to praise God and glorify God for what he's already done in her life. And every once in a while, there would be a knock come at the door. And when the knock came at the door, it would be somebody that says, Baby, God just laid you on my heart. I wanted to, to bring you something to eat. Yet in the midst of her struggle, she praised him. She worshiped him even when she was going through. Worship is not just what you do in the good times. It's what you do in the good and the bad times. You do it because of the simple fact that, God, you have done enough for me day in and day out. I don't need you to do anything else, God. I just need you to keep being who you are. 
I stress this because as we leave here today, you should have a level of conviction in your heart whenever you fail to worship God through your living. Whenever you fail to honor God for who he is, for what he's already done for you, that should be something that tugs at you and say, God, I, I, I'm not showing you that I love you. Ladies, fellas, any man, any woman that loves you would respect you and respect what God desires of you. The Bible tells us that there should be a level of accountability even in our workplace. Whatever you do, whatever your work is, do it as if you're doing it unto the Lord. God makes it clear that worship is not something you leave in the building. Today, this is a church. Tomorrow, she can turn it into a bachelor party. This building is just where we meet. But when we leave, our worship should go with us. If you come to church on Sunday morning and you get full of the Spirit, but when you walk out the door, you leave your worship, hmm, shame on you. No wonder your life was so hellish Monday through Saturday. No wonder you struggled. You, you lacked worship. You left your worship behind. Saints used to say every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus makes me love him more and more. When my friends forsake me, Jesus is there with loving arms. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Jesus is the only consistent thing that any of us have in our lives. The only consistent thing. But it seems like he's the one thing that we always forget. Paul writes this letter. Brothers, I urge you, I beseech you to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God as your good service unto the Lord. I shall worship. You owe God that. Stop looking at your race relationship as God owes you anything. He don't owe you nothing. But you owe God that. And I believe if we go through life beginning to look at every day, God, I owe you. You woke me up. I didn't even pay you for yesterday, but God, let me start paying you on today. I owe you, God. And I believe when we begin to put God first in our lives through worship, God will begin to put us first through our worship. You want to see things begin to manifest in your life. You want to see doors open up. Start worshiping. Start sacrificing and saying, God, I, I know this hurts my flesh, but I'm going to let it go. What an amazing word from God. Listen, we thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to this message. And it's because of that that we want to extend two invitations to you. Our first invitation is if you're ever in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, for you to actually stop in and worship with us at Believer City Church. We would greatly appreciate the opportunity to get to know you better. The second thing that we would invite you to do is if you want to partner with us in ministry. This message has been an able to impact your life in any way, form, or fashion, you're able to partner with us simply by going to our website at believercity.org and clicking on the Give tab and just donating whatever God allows to 
your heart to do so. Uh, you can also download our app by going to Google Play or the App Store and download Believer City Church. And there's ways that you can connect with us there, pray with us, give, and so many things that you can do to stay connected to the Believer City community. We thank you again for listening to this message, and we look forward to worshiping with you in the future. God bless you.